If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Amy Lenardi, welcome to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. Hello, Owen. So good to be here as always. It's always good to chat to you, Amy. It's always good to chat, even if it is remote. Um, we're well, both- you were saying this morning you expected me in person and you're waiting by the door and I never turned up. <laughs> I had puppy eyes and Monique, our producer, said to me, is she coming? I'm like, yes, she's coming. <laughs> and so a uh, bit of mixed messages, but that's okay. We're recording. Speaking any- of puppy eyes, though, Owen, I heard you got a puppy dog. I did. I got another Grudel. So that adds two, that makes two for the family. And uh, she's gorgeous. Her name is Bernie, um, named after my partner's grandfather, of all things. So um, yeah, she's lovely and uh, plenty of room in the house for two Grudels, which is nice. And uh, I'm stoked. So. And did you, did I hear you also got uh, turkeys? Yes. Yes. I How's did. that going? <laughs> I didn't know how, like, part of my French, but I didn't know how. Stupid turkeys really were. I, I feel just, like I feel like that's common knowledge. No, well, they say you know you're a bit of a turkey as a, like a, a <laughs> slight on your personality, but uh, yeah, I I just didn't know that. So they're they're great. I love I love all animals, Amy, which is mm. as you know, like something that I like to do is like to be near nature and have um, all of that around me. And so yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a zoo at the moment, but uh, I'm very happy with it and everything is well. So yeah, how about you? What's news in your world? Yeah, so my um, I was just mentioning to you this morning, my my colleague, my right hand woman, Steph. She's over in Europe at the moment, as is half of Melbourne yep. during during winter. So I'm a I'm a one woman show at the moment. So I've got a lot going on. I love it. I love being busy. I'm the kind of person that really thrives on it. 
Um, but I'm also the kind of person that struggles to say no to people. So I said, oh, I'll take on less clients during this time and everyone needs help. So I just, I make it work. <laughs> Here's a question for as a buyer's agent, buyer's advocate, um, how many clients can you take on? Um, like what's what at any one time, how many would you be working with? So I've got two different levels of service. The first one is where I'm doing all of the searching for clients and putting itineraries together for them every week. And it's essentially like looking at an unlimited amount of properties. Mm -hmm. So I've got a restricted amount of those that I can work with. And I would say anywhere between sort of like six and eight at a time. It also depends on the locations they're looking at as well. Uh, and then I've got another service where a client will call me up and say, Amy, I found a property. This is the one we'd like to go for. And I just help them with that particular property. Mm. So at the moment, I would say I've got sort of seven or eight full service clients and then a couple of those negotiate clients. And that's probably the limit for me. Mm. Um, and then I've got Steph usually there as support as well. So, but in uh, back in the day when I didn't have a baby, I probably would have been able to take a couple of extra ones on as well. Yeah, fair enough. That's um, it's really interesting, right? Because it it is like such an important thing for people. And actually, we've had one of the questions that have come through. And please do send your questions in. Uh, you can use the link that's available on your podcast player. If you watch on YouTube, it's in the description. There was a question that had come through, and it's a great segue for what we're talking about today, which is how to create a property brief, which is what you do for your clients. Uh, and a lot of people have said, can you please take us through this? Um, they sent in with the name, the poor man's buyer's agent. <laughs> they have, they're looking for a buyer's agent. They're wondering, you know, they've on a modest budget seemingly have lower incomes and so they're buying a property that's kind of at the lower end of maybe what we'd see in a major city in Australia and they're wondering is it still worth it because they're worried about their budget like is it still worth it seeing a buyer's agent maybe I'll just start with that question before we get yeah. into the property brief is it still worth it yes yeah, so I'm I'm currently working with a client who has a budget of three hundred eighty thousand dollars Oh, wow. So, and I've worked with clients with budgets up to $10 million. I would say on average, my clients would be between maybe 800 and a million dollar mark. Mm -hmm. But there are buyers agents out there who generally only work with say two to $4 million buyers. There's all different types of buyers agents for different kinds of budgets. And then some of them will have a flat fee service and some of them will have a percentage. Although I would say there's if they're going to be percentage-based, they might have a minimum amount that they would work with as well. But ultimately, it is a big expense and the the smaller your budget, the higher relative that, ex that expense is for you. And then it can have an impact on your borrowing capacity and your top budget if you all of a sudden have to factor in, say, ten dollars or $15,000 for a buyer's agent. So ultimately, it really then comes down to how much you value that expertise and mm. how much you you need that mm. so and everyone's going to place a different value on it sometimes I will have clients who have a more modest budget and they will opt for that initial service which is the one-off property service which is a lot more affordable and mm. then potentially upgrade later on to the full service if they need that extra help yeah. but in some situations we might be successful with the first property and yeah. then they end up only paying a third of the amount of the full service right that makes sense and that would make sense why you've structured your business that way um, to help people depending on what they need and where they are in terms of what they're trying to buy, how they're trying to buy it, et cetera. Um, 
One of the things that people can do, and we're huge advocates of both you and I, you offer a course on this, for example, um, and you have heaps of downloads available on your website, and we do the same, right, across all different types of investments and personal finance, et cetera. So one of the things that we both advocate for, no matter where you come across, Amy or I, is uh, this idea of, you know, you can educate yourself to make informed decisions and hopefully avoid some of the risks. And today's episode is effectively about that. How do you create a property brief and how do you set structure when you're looking to purchase a property? So I'm happy to maybe just to be guided by you on this, Amy. You are the expert here. I know you do this with your clients, but can you just explain what is a property brief and where does that sit in terms of the buying process? Yeah. And once I explain this, it's going to seem so obvious and easy, but the reality is when I first meet with a lot of people and I I go through it all, very few people have actually sat down and really considered what their property brief actually is. Mm. And the brief is essentially a condensed, ideally written down Mm. paragraph or a few paragraphs of exactly what you are looking to purchase. And that is a combination of your budget, the locations, and the characteristics of that property. And we're going to break those elements down a little bit later in the episode. But your brief is different to your strategy. So this is what I want to be really clear on. Your strategy includes at the very beginning your why, why are you actually buying a property? Because that is going to then guide everything else. Mm -hmm. It also includes your when, and your when can be when you're financially ready, but also emotionally ready and the right point in time in your life, and also what you can actually afford. And then your what is the third element of your strategy and your what is your property brief. So that's what we're going to be going into in more detail today. And then the last part of your strategy is your how. How are you going to implement that? What does it look like? Is it you're going to do it yourself, use a buyer's agent? Um, what kind of research and time are you going to put into it, et cetera? So we're really, the, the what element of the strategy is what we're talking about today. Yeah, right. So we've got why. We've got when, we've got what, and we've got how. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, personally, I would say this is like about minimizing risks, but also this whole process of working with a buyer's agent or um, even just going through this process yourself is about minimizing the risk of making a mistake, but also hopefully maximizing the potential of what you're trying to do. So you've kind of framed it there. I guess the question is then for you, like if someone says, well, why do I need to go through this, Amy? Like this seems like, it seems so obvious. Why do I need mm. this? Why do I need to write it down? Yeah. So for, first of all, before you even bother considering your property brief, make sure you do your why and your when because those questions need to be answered before you can tackle this. But the reason why you need one is to give yourself a bit of structure to make sure you're putting time and effort into considering these things before you actually get out there and start looking at properties. It minimizes your chance of looking at things you can't afford, looking at things that aren't suitable, maybe purchasing something that isn't quite right for you because you haven't put time and effort into it. Mm -hmm. Um, And also giving yourself uh, something to communicate with the local agents about so that you can effectively get given off markets, pre-markets, et cetera. So absolutely vital that you do this at the very beginning and it can change over time. That is totally fine because sometimes you actually learn a little bit about yourself once you get out there to inspections and you're looking at properties and you reframe it a little bit. But the more time and effort you put into your property brief before you start officially going out there and looking at properties to make offers on, the smoother of a journey that you'll have 
and the less time you'll waste and the less, I guess, emotional mm. heartache you'll go through, especially if you start looking at things that you can't necessarily afford. I just feel like that's like where you'd get very emotional if you're buying for your home to live in. Um, I feel like that would make you... It's easy to get emotional. You'd see the next thing in the next bracket. I think we've spoken about this a few times. The the next bracket up, you're like, oh well, maybe that. You know, I should go and check that one out. And then you are at risk of all the other things, like fear of missing out and mm. overpaying and these types of things. How about then uh, when it comes to thinking about whether it's an investment property or whether it's a home to live in, which could also be a financial asset, of course, but. How does that differ? Like, are there different things that would go into a brief or is the process different in any way? So, the actual elements of it are going to be exactly the same, which is your budget, your locations and your non-negotiables. So, that really is the what. What are you looking at? And as a home buyer, your what is going to be completely specific and and unique to your own personal circumstances. So, where do you need to live based on where you work or where your family is or what type of property do you need? Is it a house or an apartment based on your own lifestyle? The, the amount of bedrooms based on how many kids you have, all of those things, completely personal. And then for an investor, you're still going to have the same elements, which is your budget, your locations and the characteristics. But those types of things are going to be then driven by your strategy. And your strategy is going to be things around is that property needing to be high growth or a higher yield property? Is it going to be something which is more set and forget? Is it something you want to add value to or subdivide later on? So figuring out the the why and then that will help dictate the what. For example, if you're wanting something or needing something that is higher yield, your property brief, it's not going to say a high yield property. That's that's not really what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, okay, well, what makes a higher yielding property? It is something that has perhaps a, a lower land to asset ratio, less land, a more modern interior, an extra bedroom, an extra bathroom, whatever it is. And then those are the elements of the property brief. So obviously this is a really important, I guess, I was going to say linkage to the why and the what because – a lot of people would probably buy things based on attributes that they don't really, doesn't really align with the why. Like they might say yield or income is what they want from a property, but then they buy an asset that is definitely a capital growth asset. So I guess you as a, as a buyer, and you're sitting down with people and you're saying, well, these are the attributes that typically go into this type of thing based on what you've set up here, if I'm not mistaken. That's ex- exactly right. So you're figuring out that strategy first and then saying, as an investor, what types of properties will fulfill that strategy? And then your budget, let's actually break down each of these elements of the property brief. So the budget is generally fixed, especially if you're a homeowner. So your budget will be either limited by your borrowing capacity or just your own personal budget and your personal cash flows. Because of course, just because the bank will lend you a certain amount doesn't necessarily mean that you want to spend that. And the same for an investor. Your borrowing capacity might, might be X. You might The bank might say, here, Owen, we'll lend you $2 million, but you're not necessarily wanting to buy a $2 million investment property. Yeah. So setting a budget based on how much you do want to set as an investor. And I think especially if you have a lot of surplus borrowing capacity, working with a financial planner at the very beginning to say, okay, well, I've got all of these options. 
what can I do with this to create a more longer term plan? Because sometimes I will have investors come to me and say, I've got all this borrowing capacity. Should I buy one property or should I buy two? Should I buy three? And I can implement a strategy and I can talk about the pros and cons of those different types of options, but I really, really, really think that's where a financial planner comes into play because they can map out all of those options based on your own personal finances and cash flows and what you want to achieve in the much longer run. Mm. And then you can come to me and say, okay, worked with a financial planner. We actually think that two properties with a you know medium growth, medium yield strategy, for example, is the strategy we're going to take. And then I implement that process at the end. Yeah. The, the one thing uh, that many of us are familiar with is that when we buy property, we've got to look for location, right? And that obviously has an interplay with budgeting. I remember when I was looking at buying our first home, um, location was obviously the first consideration, like which suburbs do I want to live in or do I want to effectively put my capital behind? But then even within that, again, there were other considerations like around the streets, uh, whether it was a made road or in my instance, maybe it was a dirt road, like a gravel road or something like that. Can you talk through the types of things that go into this part of the brief and how you work with clients? I'd imagine you have clients like in couples, for example, that maybe have competing priorities and just sorting through that as well. All of the time. Absolutely. So (laughs) that's one big tip too. Be on the same page as your partner. And this may be a bit of a negotiation process where you both sit down separately and independently and figure out what you both want. And then you sit down and you compromise and you negotiate and you see where those things are, I guess, overlapping each other. And then also figuring out what your deal breakers are as well. Because if one person has a deal breaker and the other person doesn't mind, well, overall, that's going to be a deal breaker for your you combined, right? So coming back to locations. Now, generally, if you have a fixed budget, which again, most people do, you can't necessarily just have an unlimited budget. There will often be a trade-off between location and dwelling. So at the end of the day, if you go or want to get into a better location, you might have to compromise on a smaller property or smaller land or a property that needs renovations. Or if you are more flexible with location, you can be a little... um, open yourself to opportunities for bigger, better properties. Mm. So really having a think about at the start, what is more important to you, location or dwelling? And obviously a combination of both would be great. But locations can be uh, certain suburbs, like you've just said. So starting off with the more macro idea of which suburbs will you consider? And then honing in on your preferred suburbs or your dream suburbs And then also considering your maybe locations as well. And the way to consider your maybe locations is essentially saying, okay, well, if a great property or an ideal property came up and it was in that particular area, would I consider it? And if the answer is no, that suburb or that area doesn't go on the list. But if the answer is yes, I would consider that location if the house was amazing, that goes on the maybe list. And at the beginning, I think it's better to give yourself as many options as possible and you can always bring it in and cull it down later on. And I think that's a better option than having to expand it down the track out of necessity and then in the meantime maybe having missing out on great options in the meantime. And then once you've got those suburbs down pat, you can then go into the more micro elements of that, which is like you said, Owen, Would you be okay with being on a main road or a busy road or would that be a deal breaker for you? 
what would be the distance within that suburb that you need to be from certain amenities like public transport or shops or walking distance to a cafe, et cetera, and all of those things. Or you might say, I need to be within a certain school zone or I don't want to be in that particular part of the suburb. It's not as nice of an area. We see this so much, right? And it's not just with property. We see it in all types of things that people do typically with money, but even in big life decisions. It's so much better to write these things down because I'm imagining someone who's thinking, well, I like this suburb, that suburb, this suburb, that one. And they don't, they, they, they just kind of like throw it out there, but there's no real like structure to that process that they, they make those decisions with. And then importantly, when they get into the property and they're disappointed or maybe they're you know, really happy, they can't. They can't look back because they don't have something to look back and be like, what was I thinking at the time? Like, <laughs> like how did I end up here kind of thing? Yeah. You know? um, and we have our ideas and what have you. But the, So the first one was budget. The second one was location. And actually, Owen, that's a great point. One way to give yourself a bit of structure here is I often will either create or ask clients to create a customized Google map. And oh. if you don't, you just Google how to make a Google map. It's actually really easy. That's cool. And if you, if you don't want to do that, just print off a map and color it in. Or I had a client, an older client recently, bring me in a Malways oh, <laughs> and she'd wow. color, colored that in. And within that custom Google map, you can create these uh, boundaries within suburbs and you can color code them and you can name them. And I will try or often ask clients to highlight areas in green to say, yes, this is the preferred area. And then the maybe areas in, say, orange. And I say to them, be so, you know, strict with your boundaries to the point where if beyond your maybe areas, I'm not going to send you any properties. So mm. if it's a couple of streets outside that maybe area, just be aware that I'm not going to send it to you. And if they say, oh, but I'd consider it there, I said, include that in your maybe area. Yeah. And this is really helpful to give yourself guidelines, but you can also take a screenshot of that and send it to agents later on as part of your property brief. That's really helpful. But even more important here is to actually, especially if you're including some suburbs which you're a little bit less familiar with, take the time to spend as much time in these areas as possible at the very beginning as part of your research phase. Go and spend the whole weekend in that area, do your shopping there, go to the restaurants, have a look at the people, walk around because what you want to avoid is once you start officially looking for properties seeing something and it's great and it's in your maybe area and it comes up for sale and you have hesitancy because you think, oh, I just haven't spent enough time in this area and it's a really great property, but I'm just not sure about the location. Ideally, you do that before you start officially looking at properties during that research phase. I, um, I use that Google Maps feature. If someone goes to my bio on the website. Um, it has like my favorite coffee coffee spots in Melbourne. So it's like a custom Google map. Oh. <laughs> People can like copy it to their own Google map. Uh, it's really cool. And I was thinking about this as you're saying, like if you haven't driven the streets or the boundary of your green area, mm. you go down there and drive around with your partner or whatever and actually look at the area. I was chatting to someone the other day who was looking to buy here in Melbourne uh, or around Melbourne. They weren't sure if it should be um, like in the hills, like the Dandenong Ranges up on the eastern side, or maybe it should be further north or there's a bit more green. Or maybe it should be further south, like down towards Gippsland. So, like, that's a very, very different area. And mm. I, I would say that the best thing to do is actually just go there and just experience it. But, Amy, the first thing you said was budget. The second thing was location. The final thing on the, the brief that you need to break down um, is this idea of, like, what's negotiable and what's not negotiable. So, non-negotiables and kind of the bonus features. I remember doing this on a just a simple piece of paper and having things like 
fast internet and uh, <laughs> access to a cafe and those types of things. So can you can you walk us through that? Yeah. So the third element is essentially the characteristics of that property. So the dwelling itself and within this, splitting it up into two groups, which is the non-negotiables and the bonuses. So the non-negotiables, that property or that location within that you know, property, for example, being X distance to a, a train station or whatever it is, those are elements where if that property does not have that, you are not even going to look at it. So you need to be that strict about the non-negotiables. And the smaller this list is, the better in theory, because it will give you more options. And then with your bonus list and also and, and that non-negotiable list, we're talking about things like location aspects, so distance to a pub, to public transport or distance to work, whatever that is. There could also be deal breakers in here, so not on a main road or not backing onto a freeway or whatever that is. And then there could also be elements like minimum land size, minimum amount of bedrooms, bathrooms, off-street parking, really those core big fundamental aspects and things that you can't change as well. Once mm. you've bought that property, you can't change the size of the land, you can't change the orientation or the locations. But then your bonus list can be as long as you want. You can be, you can have five things on here, you can have 20 things on here, that's totally fine. That's more of a personal thing and that's more for you to help then grade and rank and kind of contrast properties later on to say how many bonuses does this tick? But that is a list for you personally. Please do not be sending a list of 20 bonus things to the real estate agents. (laughs) It's going to be a bit overwhelming for them. It's really the non-negotiables that you're then going to be um, focusing on using to then cull and search for properties online. And then again, if that property doesn't have that, like tick all of the non-negotiables, you don't even look at it. Mm. And I will always stress test these things with clients because sometimes they'll say to me, non-negotiable is two toilets. And I'll say, okay, no problem. But if I found you a property that was amazing and it was perfect and it ticked all of your other boxes and it didn't have two toilets, do you want me to send it to you? And if they say, oh yeah, I'd still want to see it, that's a strong bonus. Mm. That's not a non-negotiable. And this is how you really figure those things out with yourself. If that property doesn't have that, would you go and see it? Would you consider it? And again, making sure you're on the same page as your partner. Your non-negotiables have to be the same. Your bonuses can be different. That's totally fine. Um, this is really, I think that's a really good point. I uh, There's definitely things that are like more important to people, like one person in a relationship, right? Like for me at the time when we were purchasing our home, it was fast internet because I worked from home and I do a lot of podcasts like this and there's video uploads and there's live streams and you need super fast internet, right? Um, but for my partner, that just wasn't that important mm. from an office and so on and so forth. And um, I think like just getting to the bottom of that and like developing this framework, which you're talking about is so important. But I find this also to be the most exciting part, like alongside the strategy and the why, like why do we want to live here? Where we're going to be? How's this going to play into our life? It's actually like doing research. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek with these things, of course, but- <laughs> I'm an analyst by training, right, Amy? So, yeah. so I love this sort of stuff. Like you set a checklist and you make like a list and you look at these types of properties, you speak with people to try and negotiate like what's here, what's there. Like this is so much fun. But 
I guess at the end of this, sometimes you'll get through this process, you'll have, you know, figured out the budget, you'll be working through the brief and you'll be thinking, okay, this is great. But sometimes not many properties might fit that. So how do you then be like, well, am I wrong? Or is it just, <laughs> like, how do I get through this next? Like, how do yeah. I? Yeah. How do you actually implement it and make sure it's realistic and achievable? Mm. So the second part of this whole process is equally as important as writing down your property brief, which is doing a reality check. Okay. So once you have written down your budget, your locations, your non-negotiables, you need to then make sure that is achievable. And there is a simple, well, I call it simple. There's a relatively straightforward way of doing this. And that is going into the sold section of realestate.com.au or domain, either or, popping in the your maximum budget and then doing, and I would put in a minimum of say like 20% below, just on average, okay. just depends. Like if you're open to doing heaps of work, maybe you'll put a little bit lower, but then clicking search and going back in time, I generally will say go back six months and you need to ben- then be able to find at least six, but ideally eight to 10 properties that have sold. So let's say a minimum of one a month, ideally a little bit more yep. that have sold within your budget, within the locations that you're looking at and that tick all of your non-negotiable boxes. And if you can find that many then that would demonstrate that your brief is achievable and realistic. And assuming that the market isn't growing crazily in value every month, then you should be able to find something. Yeah, right. And if you can only find, well, if you can't find any, it means that what you're looking for is a unicorn and you definitely have to change maybe multiple elements of your brief. Um, And if you can only find maybe two or three, then that would strongly suggest that you might need to consider changing something or have a lot of patience and hope that the market isn't going to shift at all. But bear in mind, sometimes maybe those two or three sales, they could have sold cheap for a certain reason, or you don't know the reason behind that sale. So this is why we want to have ideally six to 10 properties that are sold to demonstrate that brief is achievable. And don't say something like, oh, I've only found a couple, but I'll find off markets. And that'll help solve the problem. They need to be online sales to be able to give you this confidence. Yeah. Because a lot of people do just kind of like endlessly search. Like some people can be searching for properties for years, right? Because they haven't done this. They haven't just been realistic with themselves. And this is a really kind of evidence-based way to go about it. How then, so people, I imagine this is like one common pitfall that people fall into. Like they make mistakes of thinking, well, uh, I, I think like the market will adjust or like I'll find it some, something eventually. But there's there's probably other ways that people, we know there are many other ways that people go wrong, but there are probably other ways that people go wrong with this process and mm. um, make mistakes. I feel like communication might be one of those with your partner. or Oh, gosh, yes. Partner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're dealing with clients, what, what, should, what are you normally seeing? Well, the most common mistake is not doing this process at all. And- Sometimes I'll sit down with clients at the very start and they will have a general vague idea, but not actually have written it down and certainly not have done that proper reality check. So to begin with, actually do this process, write it all down, do the reality check, but also sometimes not doing it thoroughly enough or picking out some of those sold examples and say, oh yeah, those, those tick the boxes. I would have considered that, but would you have really? 
So I was working with a client not long ago and they did all of that homework and they sent me eight properties that had sold. And then once we'd started working together, what we, or what I really quickly realized is that they wouldn't have considered those properties because I was then sending them to similar properties that have sold, sorry, that were for sale. And they were saying, oh no, this is too small. Or this one is too rough. This needs too much work. And I said to them, well, in your homework, these other properties that had sold were similar condition or similar size. So they hadn't done that homework thoroughly enough and really said, okay, I would have actually considered buying that property. So the reality check needs to be done Mm. really, really diligently. Um, Like I said earlier, stress testing those maybe locations, really considering if they are a true non-negotiable or a bonus and avoiding situations where you say something like, okay, well, here's a sold example and I would have considered that property if it was in a different street. Yeah. So it needs to be ones which you would have genuinely actually considered buying. Yeah. And then the last mistake I would say is uh, not stress testing the budget enough as well. So what you ideally want to do at the very beginning is say, okay, well, this is the maximum that we're happy to spend rather than saying this is how much we, we want to spend. And then in a month or two or six months later saying, okay, well, what we actually want is a little bit more expensive. We could spend that if we really wanted to because then you're just kind of chasing the market, missing Mm. out on options in the meantime. And I appreciate that for some people the budget is the budget, but then also further to that factoring in or understanding, doing a bit of research around renovation costs too. If you're open to doing a little bit of work, maybe figure out how much a new kitchen could cost or a new bathroom could cost or get some, you know, ballpark quotes on painting um, or speak to people who have done renovations in your circle or in your Facebook or whatever, so that when the time comes to consider a property that needs work, you're not sitting there trying to figure out finances or figure out how much it would cost. Because remember, in most situations, just say your budget is a million dollars, Owen, and you find a property that needs $50,000 worth of work, it doesn't mean that if you purchase that property for $950,000, you're going to have 50 grand left over to do the renovations because- you're you're leveraging that property. You're borrowing maybe 80 or 90% of that. So maybe you'll have, you know, $5,000 extra left over to to do that work. Yeah. I uh, I was thinking about that, uh, about my journey with this is that uh, obviously the things like the MBN, I was just bringing this up as an example of something where we had to compromise. So there just wasn't, that the MBN hadn't rolled out yet when we bought that, that home. And, um, I was like pretty disappointed with that because I needed the fast internet. So I explored all the other ways that we could get that in the property. So we bought a Starlink, one of those Elon Musk. Proof, <laughs> Is that good? It's, it's great. It's yeah. great. I don't want to live stream because it's a bit patchy on the upload, but mm. it's, great. it's a great product, right? It's a fantastic thing. And you can put it anywhere. You can take it on your camper van if you want to. Um, but then what we ultimately ended up doing is we paid extra to Aussie Broadband and they went and installed fibre to the premises. Oh. So they took a few weeks and we thought, well, it's an extra cost to us, but we're happy to do that because the property doesn't have it already, but we need this thing. So we yeah. found an like, alternate way to get one of those things we really wanted and we didn't pay as much for a property that maybe like, you know, 500 metres down the road or a kilometre down the road that had all those things already done. Um, so we were prepared to do that. And well, that's re- that's another really important important point, Owen, which is 
what can you change and what can't you change when you buy a property? Mm. So I've got a, another client who I was working with recently and she said a non-negotiable for me is a dishwasher. I said, that's totally fine. I, I, I personally couldn't live without a dishwasher as well. But technically, if you bought a property, you could install a dishwasher or you could add one later on. And I appreciate not everyone wants the effort of that. But if every other element of that property is perfect and there is something that you really want but you can add or change later on, then do you consider it? Not like it, You don't have to if you just really can't be bothered doing any work. But ideally, breaking these things down into what can you change and what can't you change when yeah. you're writing down your property brief. That's a good point. I went for three years without a dishwasher and it <laughs> nearly done me over, I swear. Um, okay, so we've got to the end of this creating a property beef. We've done it. Like I've either sat down with you or bought another buyer's agent and I've done this and sat down with my partner and whatever, or I've done it myself. Mm. And I've got this Google document or whatever I've got in front of me and – what is what can I do with it? Like what other than just for me, you said maybe you can share that with real estate agents or you can share bits and pieces of it. Like what do I actually do with it? Yeah. So first of all, it, it will then define or help you do your searching when you are looking online because mm-hmm. you're then, you know, you've got your budget and you know which suburbs to type in. And there's a really handy feature on the online websites as well where you can click map. And then yep. you can, you know, find the properties based on that map, especially if you aren't looking in that whole suburb. And then if you've got a minimum of, you know, three bedrooms, well, you're only going to be looking at three bedrooms, for example. But then you can use this brief to create, Pete Pete had a really good phrase for this, your elevator pitch, <laughs> which is just a short, condensed, kind of like one paragraph pitch, which you can then use to communicate with real estate agents. So saying something to an agent like, Um, my budget is circa this amount. And we talked about how to communicate budgets in a previous episode. So my budget's early sixes. I'm looking in these particular suburbs and I need a minimum of three bedrooms on 500 square meters. I'm open to doing a little bit of work. So condensing and summarizing your brief into one paragraph, which you can then talk to real estate agents about and you can practice it because ideally when you're looking for properties and wanting off markets, Ideally, you're calling all of the real estate agents in that area. And that's your blurb. Hey, Owen, do you have a few moments to chat? I'm looking in your area. This is what I'm looking for. Yeah, if you right. start to say, and then I'd really love NBN and I'd really love if the <laughs> bedroom faced east, but I don't want it to be too, you know, all of those, they don't, they don't need to know that. Yep. Yeah. And then you can also put it in an email as well, which you can send out to the real estate agents. It's condensed. And even better as a bonus, if you can then pop a couple of your sold example properties in there or talk to agents and say something like number one Smith Street or 10 Jones Street, they'll yeah. probably know those properties if they work in those areas and it gives them a bit of a visual and then they can look out for off-market properties for you or pre-market properties for you. You're making their job so much easier because they've probably got hundreds of people that are coming through these properties and they don't know whether uh, Jill and Bob want to, you know, hot and cold water or whether the others don't really care. Like they don't really care about those minor details, but the big picture things, they want to be able to call you and say, hey, this property has just come up. It seems to meet all your criteria. Do you want to come and take a look now before it goes on real estate or domain or whatever? Um, Final question for you then, Amy, is uh, should this be something that you kind of just set in stone? Like is it, I'd imagine the answer is no, but like 
how does this evolve over time? Like I've got friends that have been looking for properties and I think we've all probably got examples of this, been looking for properties for years. Um, and it almost seems like they're a bit rigid in what they're looking for. Mm. I always think like, well, maybe the market's gone up by then. Um, so maybe it's time to change what you're looking for or where you're looking. Like how do you go through that? Yeah. I mean, with that timing, if you are financially and emotionally ready to purchase a property and you've done that reality check and written down your brief, if it's taking you years you're not doing it right. There's something that is going wrong in that whole process there. Or maybe you're just not genuinely looking and you're like, oh, like maybe going to one inspection every few months or so. But the brief the brief needs to be a little bit flexible and it can change over time. But the more effort and time you put into it at the very beginning, the better outcome you're going to have in terms of timing and stress and that emotional journey and the quicker you're going to get an outcome. And of course, buying a property, there's no rush. But again, it should not take years. That That's an exhausting process for you and it would be very overwhelming. But once you sit down and, and do that brief, once you start going out to inspections, well, maybe your priorities will change over time, especially if you start to see certain properties that you're resonating towards a little bit more. Maybe they're those bigger, better properties, but they're further out. And you say, well, this is probably what our preference is. And you might say then, okay, well, our priority around non-negotiables is a bit more size and space. We're happy to be further away from the city or further mm. away from work. Mm. Totally fine to change it and update it over time. Um, and especially if the market changes, if the market increases in value, well, by necessity, you're going to have to maybe change certain elements and make I think compromise, some people think is a bit of a dirty word, but <laughs> sometimes you do have to make some compromises here and there to change things so that you're not then chasing something which doesn't exist anymore because the market has increased in prices. And if you are, the reality is the agents will then say, well, what you're looking for is not achievable and maybe they'll dismiss you as well as being an unrealistic buyer and then you'll then be disheartened because you keep looking at things that are going over your budget. Mm. So whilst ideally it doesn't change because you've put the time and research in at the start, sometimes it has to change over time and that's fine if it does. For sure. So this to go back to the very first comment um, and question that was sent in, you can work through this whole process. Obviously, this is only one part of the overall process of buying a property, starting with your why and when and et cetera. But anyone can go through this process. You may need to listen back to this episode <laughs> uh, again. And just as we go through, as Amy went through, have your Google Doc or your Microsoft Word or your Notes app open and Think about all the things that you can use, all the tools that you can use that Amy's just shared with you here. Um, Amy also has a free checklist that is available in the show notes. So um, anyone can download that if you're listening to this and you think, well, I am buying a property, uh, use the checklist. It's a free resource. So there's heaps of opportunity for people that are on a limited budget. And then if you do want to work with a professional, as you said, Amy, there's some buyers agents have different models, like whether you just want negotiation, which is a really important part of the process, or whether it's this brief and helping you manage that with your partner and so on and so forth. So um, this has been heat. This has been really, uh, really enlightening for me. Uh, I mean, I did it in a hacked way. So <laughs> the next time I do this, uh, I'll be able to engage you and uh, say, hey, uh, can you help me out with this? But um, I'm going to put, I'm going to put you on the spot with two questions, Amy, uh, totally like no prep for these questions mm -hmm. One is, do you cover this in the course that you offer? Oh, absolutely. Yep. We go all throughout how to make your, first of all, beginning with your strategy and then through the strategy, then creating your property brief and like a real, um, 
a lot of structure in there on exactly how to do that. Okay, great. So links always available in the show notes to that, as well as Amy's newsletter. Second question I'm going to catch you off guard with is, um, are you coming to the Sydney event? I am coming to the Sydney Uh, event. I can't wait. (laughs) So for those of you that don't know, uh, we're on the road at the moment. Many people in the the RAS team, myself included, are on the road. uh, And we're heading to Sydney on the 3rd of October. Uh, It's a Tuesday night after the long weekend. Um, So it's a school night, so it's all PG. Um, And we are getting out there. We're speaking with you. We want to meet you. Amy, Chris, and Pete will be on stage at once. The Um, whole team. I love it. We haven't been like in the same room for a long time. No, we haven't. To get us all together in the same place is going to be heaps of fun. Um, So you can find links to the Rask Roadshow, it's called. The Sydney event is going to be our biggest by far. Uh, It's been a huge success so far. Bring your party shirts, bring your friends, bring your family. (laughs) Come talk property, come talk investing, come talk business, whatever you're interested in. Um, Amy, this has been heaps of fun. I really do appreciate you taking time. I know you're busy right now, so thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Owen. Say hi to the menagerie for me. (laughs) (laughs) We will. Uh, I don't think the turkeys will get it, but um, we'll we'll figure it out. So uh, thanks once again. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.